Manchester City Continental Cup winners 2022. Hello and welcome to MCW Fancast. I'm Emma. Thanks for listening. City kicked off their WSL campaign against Aston Villa. It was a difficult defeat as City failed to secure any points in their opening league fixture. The only time that this has happened before is in our maiden season in 2014 when we lost 1-0 against Liverpool. It's clear that we are a team in transition and patience is required, but with an away trip to Chelsea on the horizon, two teams looking to redeem themselves from disappointing results from the past weekend, it's a fixture filled with expectation. This week, I'm delighted to welcome back Dave and Paul to the podcast for the first time this season. Let's get straight into it. I'm Lauren Hemp and you're listening to MCW Fancast. I'm joined by Dave and Paul. How are you both, Dave? Are you okay? Yeah, thanks. I'm okay. It's nice to be back. Paul, how are you doing? Yeah, it's good. Good to have regular football back. Have you missed it, Paul? Yeah, I have. I mean, obviously, we had a big dose of it in the, in, in the summer. Um, but, you know, it, it seems like a long time away now, doesn't it? Um, so it's great to the WSL back, good crowds on, good atmosphere, starting to see a bit of a bounce from the Euros. Not helped, obviously, by the fact that the games were, were postponed and there's obviously discussion about and debate about that. But um, I think it was great. There was nearly 7,000 on at the Villa Park at the weekend. It's apparently sold 50,000 for the London Derby. We're at 30,000 for our Derby. So, you know, all, all good stuff. And it's, it's just great to see... Um, Families and and you know hardcore fans and new fans all coming together to support the game. It's it's really really positive. No matter what the results, the fact is that the game is improving and, and expanding, and that's only could only be a good thing. Yeah, and obviously Dave, you were there on Sunday. Felt that in the ground, I suppose, as well with it being a big crowd and. Yeah, it was um, a really good crowd for you know, and obviously in a traditional ground like Villa Park. Anyone who's been to Villa Park knows. You know, it's a you know it's a proper old-fashioned ground in a way. It's a bit of a throwback, a nice big old ground, and the atmosphere was great inside. Yeah, and six 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 and a half thousand or so is a is a good crowd, and um, you know everyone seemed to enjoy it. They had um, fan zones outside beforehand with uh, Jill Scott was there uh, meeting the fans and stuff, which you know obviously popular with both uh, sets of supporters. That one, you know, and the, it was all just like a really good atmosphere outside. They were you know trying to entertain the fans for. The hours before the game and everything so it was really nice to see and it's as Paul says it's great as much as I did enjoy the summer my first love is City so it's great to have uh, have domestic football back. How are you feeling heading into the game because obviously we did have the, the stunted start with uh, the postponement of games and it's really game week two <laughs> but um, obviously everyone was looking forward to getting back to the games and, and getting inside the stadium but I mean obviously with the changes that we've seen across the summer you know as fans how did you feel sort of heading into that game? Well I mean obviously I thought it was going to be quite a difficult game for the, for the reasons you've just highlighted there I and mean, obviously we've had a lot of changes to our squad just one look at Villa's team sheet proved that they'd improved their squad Rachel Daly and Hanson and people like that so I didn't think we were going to go there and roll them over at any point anyway when I saw our team sheet though I was I was confident I thought that team was good I know we've had a lot of changes but only one new player started that match on Sunday so there was quite, um, you know, quite a familiar look to the team, given the people who had left, obviously not being there. 
Um, so I was quite confident that as long as we performed to a certain level, we could get something. But I mean, we can go more into that, obviously, because I don't think we did perform to certain levels in, in certain areas. But um, yeah, I was I was confident, but I was never at any point thought it was going to be um, maybe some of the scores we've seen in the past against Villa, because I do think they're a vastly improved side. I was thinking about this. You know, we almost had the opposite of what we had last year, where we had that horrendous injury list, uh, which, which unsettled the side. This season, we're trying to integrate seven new players and we've lost some seriously good players at the same time. I felt that he probably picked a solid team, but I was quite surprised when you sign seven players, most of whom are full internationals, that you don't start more than one. That was the only thing I thought was a bit strange. But he clearly decided to have a solid team that had been uh, played together uh, to a degree. I mean, obviously, people like... Uh, Esme Morgan and, and has been out for some time. Seth's been out for some time. But I, I like Dave, I thought it was a solid lineup. The, the problem was, as, as we'll discuss, uh, we just didn't get a grip of the game really at any point. Um, and that's not something we're not used to seeing because we're used to seeing a city side that for long periods of a game, even against, as Dave rightly says, a very good, much improved Villa side, we would expect to dominate possession and dominate the game for longer periods than we did. For me, uh, and I was watching it at home, we just didn't get a grip of, of, of it, certainly in the first half where we were woeful, better in the second half, but we would expect to get a, a stronger grip on longer portions of the game, and that's something we need to definitely step up, particularly at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the statistics, I mean, we did have like 60-odd percent were for possession, but we didn't really do much with it. We didn't keep a lot of the ball. We were quite sloppy at times, I suppose. Obviously, it's going to take some time for it to come together with this squad. You go through these transitional phases, and it's it's been a a, a massive summer in that respect. Um, you know, Gareth Taylor has got a lot of work to do, um, and I suppose as fans, we have to be patient, Dave. Without a doubt. I mean, it's like you just said there, if we had 60% possession, it's where we had it, though. It wasn't really in any areas that would hurt Villa. And I would say we lost that game more from a tempo element than a personnel element. I think Villa were better than us in the big moments in that game yeah. uh, when it counted. They did a very high press. They pressured us from the, you know, right from the minute we were playing out from the back. And I think we struggled with that. Now, is, is that a first game of the season thing? And, and as you say, uh, was Gareth going a little bit too safe trying to play players that already knew? I was great. I was happy to see people like Angledale and stuff in the side because I've wanted her to get into the side even last season. I think she's a quality player. I thought she was great for Sweden in the summer. So these these are these are internationals. And it might well click, but you might just have to just, as you've just said, I mean, we might have to be patient to just find the right little... Uh, nuances between players, especially in that midfield area where we've lost a lot of experience and, and quality players. I mean, it's been discussed by everybody all over the summer. We all know the quality that we've lost from the team, but there is still quality there, without a doubt. Angledal and Lasada, and, you know, if you want to take a positive from Sunday, the performance of Laura Coombs was excellent on Sunday. Um, the second half performance of Mary Fowler was very, very promising, I thought. When we upped the tempo after half-time, we were excellent for 10, 15 minutes because we, we everything started to click, but then we slipped back again and we allowed Villa to push us back. So there are elements there to, to, to grasp and there were positives. I know it's hard to say when you get beat, uh, but there were positives there on Sunday as well as, as ne obvious negatives. Yeah, there, there definitely was positives. I mean, I think we, we had... 
like the best two opportunities of the game in the opening minutes of the game and we didn't take our chances and then and obviously like you said it was that high press that caught us out they look so strong we look vulnerable as well I think it exposed us in terms of our weaknesses as well and and where we've got to put some sort of extra sort of effort and minutes in on the training pitch because you know by no means we're not you know we're not the finished article you know we need to build that confidence we need to build partnerships on the pitch and it it doesn't always come for you from the up you know you have but you have to trust that in time it will pour the thing is yes and we do have to be patient but the reality is that Villa know we play out from the back and they high pressed us yeah and for 45 minutes we look like a school you know school kids not knowing how to break the press we you know at that level you've got to know how to break the press You've got if they're starting to press you, you've got to start to work out how you break the press. And for 45 minutes, they pressed us relentlessly. Uh, Ellie Roebuck, who normally has loads of time on the ball, was, was struggling to get the ball out. The passing out from the bat was desperate at times because we couldn't work out how to do it. So hopefully this week they've gone back to the training pitch and gone right. This is what happens when they press us. This is what we do. And at the point I, the two points I wanted to make really was one. If you look, I've said it repeatedly on this podcast, there are now no easy games in the WSL. Every team in that league is capable of beating every other team in that league. And it was shown at the weekend, the top two of the top three got beat. You know, and, you know, Tottenham looking strong. Liverpool did a job on, on Chelsea. Uh, United are looking strong. We're looking strong, potentially. And the second thing that struck me, I always assumed that Rachel Daly would finish her career off in, in America at Houston Dash. If she was on the market, why weren't we in, why weren't we in for her? If we were in for her, that's great, and she didn't want to come. But did we go after her? Because she's a quality player, and she did a number on us at the weekend. So that's my question to, to the club is, if you've got someone like that who's just won the Euros, who suddenly comes on the marketplace and wants to come home, surely we should have been in for her, because she's a perfect fit for us. So that's the question that's when I was watching the game, I was thinking, why why ain't she got a blue why ain't she got a blue shirt on? I mean, Dave, like how much of an impact do you think that goal was from Coonsie in terms of kind of giving us the mentality that we can go on and get some out of this game? 2-0 down, you're kind of thinking, how are we going to find a way back into this game? Well, yeah, Paul's right there. I mean, the first half we were second best in pretty much every department if we'd have gone in three or four down at half time we couldn't really complain because we you know Villa played well and we didn't so that goal right on half time we felt that was a bit of a lifeline because suddenly we're going in at only 2-1 after 45 minutes of being outplayed and obviously that lifts you then because you think even though you're behind you think right we're back in this and the fans felt that so I'm pretty sure the team will have thought that then they came out second half. And as I said, the first 10, 15 minutes was the, the one stage of the game where we were on top. And, you know, to get the two goals back so fast, uh, I, I, well, you know, to get the equaliser, sorry, so fast, and then take the lead, I was confident we, from that moment, I thought, right, we're going to go in and win this now because we're playing well. But then we seemed to slip back again into the, um, the mistakes we were making in the first half. So it was, you know, doubly disappointing. It's almost like we lost the game, won the game, and then lost the game again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, disappointing, really. But fair play to Villa, they played well. I'm a, I am a fan of um, Carla Ward at Villa as well. 
because I think she's done a great job. I think she's a very, I was watching her on Sunday and she, you know, she lives every kick, every ball. She, you know, she's always talking to her assistants, she's planning. It's, it's fantastic. She's a great manager and Villa are a good side. And I think Villa might uh, beat a few teams this season with the players they've got. Paul, how much do you think this performance will have been in terms of a bit of a wake-up call? I think it's a total wake-up call. I think that, that, that these are all very good players, very good professionals, very good coaching staff. They will have gone back this week and watched the videos. The analysis will have been done. They will learn from this. Um, they will start to work out how to, as, as we just, as I said, you know, spring the press when it's on. How to, you know, where where the positioning is in terms of the cent- the central holding midfielder. They'll start to look at how they can use two of the best wings in the world, which we're only use at the weekend. There's a lot. There's a lot that we can be positive about from the, from the second half, as Dave says. For, for 20, 15 to twenty minutes, we look like the, the city we've come to expect. Gareth needs to be a bit bolder in terms of being. You know, Mary Fowler's got to start for me. I was looking at the weekend. She's not a light for light replacement for Georgia Stanway, but what she does bring is is Stanway's energy and bite. And she's a quality player. She's only a young player, but don't forget, she played for the Matildas at fifteen. She's been around at the top level a long time. We, we played her in the one-off European game. We gave her the we gave her the vote of confidence. Then, for me, she's a starter now because uh, uh, whilst I, I agree with Dave, I think Philip Algundal is a very good player. She disappeared at the weekend in the first half, and, and that might have been the, the fact that we were overrun. But you know, she wasn't. She was. She didn't really get a grip of the game herself. So I think it's a big wake-up call. I think these are really smart players and they'll go away, they'll learn from this. Uh, and let's not press the panic button. You don't lose the game on the first... You don't lose the title in the first game of the season. But there's not a huge mar- margin for error in a 22-game league. Yeah. You can't lose that many games and want to win the title. Villa game management, like you said, Dave, excellent from Carla Ward. Better team, deserving of the win. You're not going to argue mm. with it. <laughs> But City need to reflect now and and they're probably really cliche, but regroup uh, and obviously go again. And and what better yeah. test than a Chelsea game? Chelsea, away. Um, yeah, no, I mean, when the fixes come out and I saw it, it was early, we had Arsenal and Chelsea in the first three games. You think maybe it's good to play them early and get them out of the way, and and you know, but uh, obviously now there's a lot of pressure on us. Because, I mean, having said that, there's pressure on Chelsea because they yeah, lost as well. But um, yeah. you know, it, it's it, it, yeah. I think we obviously, you know, if you come out of it after the, if we'd have won at Villa, we'd go into Chelsea a little more confident. Maybe the Villa wake up call might help us with a game like Chelsea, where you know we know we know we've got to play better. We know if we go to Chelsea and we play like we played last week, we're not going to get anything. I mean, that's not rocket science. Everybody can see that because Chelsea will be in the same boat. They've lost a game and they won't want to loop start with two defeats either. So they're bound to play better. I didn't actually see much of Chelsea's game. I've only seen the highlights, like so, because obviously we were travelling back and what have you. So I'm not sure how they played in terms of like you know the possessions and things. But obviously it was a shock that they got beat. I didn't expect them to lose to Liverpool. So as Paul says, these teams have now improved. The, the, this league in the past two seasons, one defeat has meant someone's missed out on the title because we only lost once a couple of seasons ago. Last season, Arsenal only lost one game and didn't win the title. This season, we might just see a little bit different. Some of these other teams have improved. Tottenham have improved. Villa have improved. Liverpool have come into the league and, for me, look decent. And I think they're going to start taking points, as has already been proven, off the top sides. And I think it could be um, 
a little bit more of an unpredictable league this season as a couple of teams, ourselves included, are in transitional periods, uh, new players settling in and things like that. So it'd be very interesting to say, but certainly the game on Sunday coming up is a game we have to be 100% switched on and we have to be well drilled and we certainly have to play better and be more communicative to each other than we were last week. Otherwise, we'll get beat because Chelsea, as we know, are probably the best side in this league on the day. I mean, Chelsea, I watched a, a fair bit of it and I, I would say that they they didn't take play badly at all. You know, they, they still kind of dominated the game, but it, Liverpool, obviously, when they had their opportunities, they took them and there were two well-taken penalties and <laughs> I've seen three penalties in a game and you're just thinking, how is that even possible? But it's, it's madness. But Liverpool, to me, are a team that have obviously come up from the championship and it's been a massive uh, learning curve for them. They're going to want to establish themselves as a, you know, deserving of their place within the WSL. And uh, without a doubt, they're going to throw everything at it and, and do well. I think I don't, I don't think they're going to be one of those teams that are going to sit at the bottom of the table, put it that way. Uh, they're going to be pushing and pushing top teams, like you say, and challenging and taking you know points off big teams like you're saying you you can't afford error which is you know something like you've just said we've seen season upon season uh there's little room for that but now sort of other teams are capitalizing on that so when you're looking at those you know top three positions um you know when you're looking at you know wanting to to succeed and and win it it is a bigger task than you think it's not easy and Gavis Taylor has spoken about the kind of, obviously, the future. Uh, he's obviously brought in youth. He's brought in players that he feels that he can develop and become a core part of the, the team and build around that. But with the players that we have brought in and it being a relatively new squad, who were the players that you're looking at to perhaps be the ones to, to spearhead this vision that perhaps Gareth Taylor has got, Paul? Well, firstly, it's amazing that the second game of the season is a relegation battle between Manchester City and Chelsea. <laughs> who, would have, who would have put money on that? That the two, two, two of the bottom teams would have been the two of the best teams from last season. Um, I mean, I, I'm looking for Fowler particularly. I think she's class. I think she brings she she as I said before. I think she's she she brings something of the Stanway to the team. You know, she's a, she she works hard. She's quality. She's, I suspect she's got a good shot on her. She closes people down. She's an intelligent player, which is what we need in that midfield. And I think Castellanos will, will come good. She, she is a quality player. If we play into her, she'll score goals all day long. We didn't see the best of her at the weekend. We've not seen the best of her so far. But I think once she gets her run in the team, you know, and and I hope she starts on at the weekend because I just think she brings a bit more guile. That's no criticism of Bunny Shaw, by the way. I thought I had a decent game uh, at the weekend and, and did score. But Castellanos and, and, and Shaw, for me, are the two, uh, so not Shaw, Fowler, the two that I think will, you know, bring that extra little bit of zing to the team. And what about you, Dave? I mean, obviously we saw a lot of Alexandria at the weekend. What did you make of her? Uh, yeah, I thought Alexandria could well be a pivotal player. Obviously, to play in that Kira Walsh role, and we're not for one minute saying that anyone can replace Kira Walsh, because as you know, my opinion, Kira Walsh is the best in the world at that position. But City do play with, with that position in mind, and, and Alexandria, that was her first game. She did okay, 
It's a hard position. There's a lot of work to get through to, to create the space and the angles. When you're doing it with a new team and new teammates, it might just take a few weeks to, to, to get it 100% right. But I didn't think she played badly, but it's a very difficult role. And it also, it's a huge, huge shoes that you're trying to fill as well. I agree with Paul. I, think, I, I actually think one of the main positives on Sunday was Mary Fowler. In the second half, I thought she improved City. I thought she improved the tempo. I thought she improved the passing. Uh, so she's certainly important going forward. It, it's, after last season, it, you know, uh, with the injuries that we had and everything, at least now he has got a squad. So he can now pick maybe certain players for certain games. He might have ideas now where he wants to play certain players. We might see Wahabi start. We might see, you know, we might see Castellano start ahead of Bunny Shaw in certain games where he just thinks he's better. He's, at least he's got those options, which he didn't have last season. You know, hopefully everyone stays fit. Um, but they've all got the part to play. I mean, it's, it's a long season. There's a lot of games. There's County Cup games. There's WSL games. We've got a lot of international breaks as well. So they've all got the part to play. And form comes into it. Um, tactics comings into it and they've all you know they've all got the thing but also we've got to be patient that some of these players as you know some players come in especially from um, foreign leagues and settle straight away and some don't some take a, just a little bit of time just to adjust to the English game and the English leagues uh, that'll happen because these are quality players so that will happen Do you think that could be a bit of a worry just because of obviously it does take time with some players sometime and with the fact that we've brought in so many international players, do you think that that could be a bit of a, a worry? It could be just, uh, if it didn't work out. But also, we used to get people saying it was a bit of a worry that we had the whole England squad at one point. And people used to say that was a problem, didn't they? You know, it, it's only a problem if you're not winning the games. Once you're winning, everyone's happy and Twitter's a wonderful place and everyone's over the moon. You know, it's easy with hindsight to say, but these are quality players who are intelligent footballers, international footballers, and, and know what's expected of them. And then I think, you know, get, you know, they, they will gel. They will find their, their position in the squad and in the team, and it will work. I think that's what you just said there. Maybe it was the worry that why Gareth went with um, the team he went with on Sunday, because they were already, you know, based at the club, most of them, bar one of the starters, that was. You know, maybe, maybe some of the other, we might see some of the other newer players coming in um, starting this Sunday. It's tactics as well that comes into that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a worry. Of course, it's a worry to have lost um, the quality we've lost in things, and it's something that needs looking at. Contracts need to be staggered and things like that, and that's an issue for the club. Um, we don't want to be in this situation where you lose so many players in one go for whatever reason, you know. And um, it's difficult when you're replacing so many, even if you're bringing in quality players. It's very difficult. Let's break down the people who left. We keep saying Jill Scott and Karen Barsley. They were virtually retired anyway. You know, they, Karen had, had so many injuries, she wasn't coming back. Jill, we'd moved off a while ago. So those some of those players were already going. Ellen White was a bit of a shock, but, you know, she wasn't a, a regular starter for the team. Georgia, I think, had just been at the club so long she wanted to change. I didn't think Lucy Bronze was all that great last season for long periods. So, you know, and she's a good player and, you know, she'll come good, I hope. I think the big issue I have is, is the Kira saga. As soon as Barca came in for her, you knew she was going to go. You know, she wanted to go. They wanted her. They should have been, as soon as that phone call, fax, text, whatever, came in, Barca want Kira Walsh, we should have been looking for a, a replacement at that point because she was going. And you're right, Dave, she is the best in the world in that position. And she's, she had made that decision she wanted to go. And, we, you know, we should have been 
planning for this 12 months ago because it was obvious she was going to go at some point. So that's where I have an issue with the club. And I, and I take your point, Dave, this should stagger the contracts. But if players have their heads turned and want to go somewhere else, and the City way is if you want to go off your, off your pop, then we should be planning much earlier to bring like-for-like like players in. Now, with Kira, that's virtually impossible because she's the best in the world in that position. We just need to be a bit cannier about understanding that when players want to go and making sure they don't all go in one fell swoop. Because it gives, it gives our critics even more ammunition to slag us off. Every club goes through this. No, no player is irreplaceable. Kira Walsh, all right, is an exception. <laughs> but everyone else, you know, we have to, you know, as, as football fans, you have to understand that the, the game teams change, you know. Players can only offer so much. And many of those players, the likes of George Stanway, Kira Walsh has offered longevity. And what have we done in return? <laughs> um, you know, you can't hold back a player from wanting to go and succeed when you've given so much and the club still haven't succeeded in terms of Champions League, in terms of, you know, winning the league. We're not progressing and there's no, like, we've got ambition and we talk about wanting to succeed and do these things, but <clears throat> we're not doing it. That's the issue. Like, we're failing at the first hurdle. Look at Champions League again. That is a huge disappointment. What have we learnt from last season? Position. If we'd have beat Real Madrid, though, would, would would any of them stay, still be here now? That's a question but to that's ask. The question. Yeah, that's, we'll never get the answer. You know what I mean? It, it could have been a totally different, different scenario, but it's not. Um, I mean, it, it's disappointing to have gone out of the Champions League. Of course it is, yeah, we wanted to go through. But, I mean, the setup of that Champions League, I mean, that's a whole different podcast, that. You know, yeah. why you're playing Madrid away and in a one-off game and you're playing them at their ground and it's things not, like that. It, I mean, it's, it, it's the whole system, the whole pathway is stupid. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it needs revision. It's not right. It sounds like not, celebrates because we've got beat, but... I was saying this before we even played who we were drawing, you know, because we were saying, well, where are they going to be played? Oh, they'll pick at one of the four teams will pick and that'll be the home venue. It could have been us at that point. And I still think, well, that doesn't make sense, you know. So, you know. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have picked us because they were, the, the crowds in, in, in Madrid were, were poor. If we'd have been yeah. playing at all, that, that place would have been rocking. They the, yeah. the, would have been sold out. So there was a, you know, it was an obvious move to do it there because if it, we would have had definite home advantage with a full academy stadium. There's no doubt about it. We would have, we would have packed it out for both games. So you know, it, it, the whole thing's a fact. The whole European Cup, so Champions League setup, is a farce. The, yeah. the fact that two of the best teams in the competition, one of them's out, and Rangers are still in it, we batter all day long. There's teams that are still in the Champions League. That we would we would absolutely slaughter all day long and wear out, and it just it's not sour grapes. It's it's just stupid to have some of the best teams. You don't have this in the in the in the Champions League in the men's game. It's seeded. It's properly done. The top teams have a, you know, are seeded to go through, but there's there's still a chance that other teams can can qualify too. You don't Champions League in the men's game is not set up to get rid of Bayern Munich or Manchester City or Chelsea. It's set up to get them through to the latter stages because that's where the big money games are. In ours, it's this lunacy of... I think if, if you ask any 
NEWSL fan who, who, who was being trying to be objective, and it's, football's not an objective thing, but if, they, if you ask them the question, do you think it was reasonable that Manchester City and, and, and Madrid were playing in that setup and one of them would go out in the first round of the, of the Champions League? People would say, that doesn't make any sense. It's silly because either of those two teams potentially could win the competition and one of them goes well, out. It's, it, it's a potential final, semi-final you know, exactly. clash before, you know, before it's even began. But listen, it's one of those, isn't it? It's done and you've just got to put it at your back of your mind. But it is disappointing. How, how do we avoid that next season? The only way we can avoid that is by finishing top two. Is that the target? It's got to be the target. But we've won one WSL title and not won the Champions League in, in all the time we've been going, with all the resources that we've had and the players we've had. That is underachieving. That is underachieving by any standard. So our target must be to be top two and try and, and pick up a trophy or two this season, put this awful situation in, in, in the Champions League behind us. It's been and gone. Use the Conti Cup games to gel the team. There's an opportunity there. We, you know, we didn't particularly want those games, but we've got opportunities now to to embed players, bring some of the new players in and get them going in the Conti Cup, where we've got a fantastic record. As a club, have to say, top two is our aim. And I think it's it's doable, but it, it, you know, we've got to get moving as quickly as we can. And I think Dave's point earlier on was absolutely right. There's loads of teams in this league now that will nick points off the, the last year's top three. Chelsea, Arsenal and those will not go through the season without dropping points to teams that in the past we would normally expect to beat, but are now much better teams. You know, Spurs will give us a game. Uh, Reading are a decent side. Brighton, the, one of the dark horses in this league as well. They're a good team. Hope Powell's a good manager. You know, you look down that league now and you think, ooh, you know, I don't, all of those games, you know, in the past we would have probably picked, you know, maybe six or eight games in the season and thought that's tricky. Now I think you're looking at all the games and thinking, yeah, you could slip up in any of those. That's true of all the other teams as well. If they're honest with themselves, if their fans and their podcasts are honest with themselves, they need to recognise that there, there is no gimmies in this league anymore. Looking, obviously, forward to Chelsea, it's a game that can go any which way. I mean, we've had games that have been absolutely incredible draws, 3-3s, 2-2s. We've lost the Conti Cup final last year, the FA Cup final. We know Chelsea well. Obviously, it's a bit different, obviously, when you're throwing new players into the mix. But do we approach it in the same way? It's not rocket science. It doesn't matter who your manager is, who the players are. You know when you're going to play Chelsea at Kings Meadow, you've got to play well to get anything out of the game. Because you know, especially if you look at it, you're looking, you go in there when they've just lost a game as well. And we all know what M Hayes, you know, as a quality manager, she won't like getting beat last week, and they will be up for it on Sunday. So we know going there that we need to be up for it. That that's a given. It doesn't matter which eleven players go run out on that pitch. And it doesn't matter who your manager is or anything, you know that. So that's the first thing I would say about it. So yeah, you go there and, and we need to, we need to, every single game's crucial. You know, you can't afford to drop too many points in this league if you want to challenge them. You're, we're staying there, we want to be aiming top two. So, you know, taking points off Chelsea on Sunday would, would, would be great towards that. And it would also be a massive, probably more importantly, a lift for everybody after last week. It's going to be tough. We're going to have to play a lot better than we did last week, but I think that's a given. I think everybody knows that. 
So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's always good. It's funny, really. I mean, as you say, we've had a lot of games at the Academy Stadium where it's rained goals. As you say, there's been some two-alls, there's been a three-all. They stuffed us last year when we didn't have half a team. But then, you know, down at Kings Meadow, it tends to be um, a bit of a tighter game over the years. The odd goal here and there, a 2-1 or 1-0. We had a few nil-nils over the years as well. It's, it's quite an odd fix during that. When it's in Manchester, it seems to rain goals. But down at Kings Meadow, even when we've won, we've won. I think the biggest we've ever won is 2-0. I think we've won 1-0 a few times. It's, it's an odd fixture. It's, it's, a, it's a fixture with a lot of history. It's a fixture already. It's a fixture with a, a good rivalry. You know, we, you know, it's there's a healthy rivalry between the fans and there's banter and stuff. And it's a good away day, as you know, Emmy. You've been on it many times yourself. It's, it's good down there. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, it's going to be tough. But that's when that's when you need to get behind your team more, isn't it? When you know you've had a bad result, you want to bounce back, you want to be there, you want to support your team, you want to show them um, that you're there. And obviously, we'll all be there on Sunday behind the team, win, lose or draw. But yeah, it, we need to go there and play well. Obviously, as you rightly said, Dave, some of those games down at Kings Meadow are tight. But these are two teams that go at it traditionally when they play each other. You know, it, it can be tight, but they're going. You know, two quality teams who will go at it. The FA Cup final. Was a classic, you know. It, it yeah, was yeah. it was brilliant football. Some of the Chelsea fans were saying, "Oh, it was one sided." Well, they were watching a different games to me because it was it was a very very good game, and both teams absolutely rose to the occasion. So I wouldn't be surprised if it rained goals. Five four thriller, but yeah, <laughs> no, you're right. the, the, the cup final was good. Both cup finals were good. Yeah. The Conte Cup final was a true game of two halves, where they were the better team for it, and then second half we were the better team and we turned it around and won. The, the FA Cup final, as you say, it went down to very fine margins. Yeah. One mistake cost us the game, basically. Uh, it could have gone either way on the day. It was a great game of football. You're quite right there, Paul. And it often is. Sitting in Chelsea is pretty usually a decent game. It's, it's usually 22 internationals on the field. So it's, it's and, and as you say, it's a good atmosphere at both grounds. So I think that raises the team as well. I think both teams respond to to big crowds. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you can't fault the commitment of the Chelsea fans down there. You know, it's it, it's uh, they make it a, a tricky place to go. Yeah, they do. They do. And it's a vir- virtually a sellout, I think. I think they released a few more tickets, but it looks like it's going to be sold out at Kings Meadow as well. So expecting... Uh, to be a good atmosphere down there too. That's good, yeah. We've got a full coach going in OSC and I know there'll be some other Blues and there's definitely some City fans that live down in London that are coming across, so it should be good. So we've had a few questions in. Uh, the first one from Dan, just touching on uh, some comments that were made last week from Dan saying that we can't keep looking at gaining fans from the men's supporters. Um, as we have seen at City, even when the men are not playing, we don't seem to get big crowds at the academy stadium. Do we need to be targeting a different demographic? Obviously, off of the back of the Euros and the increases that we've seen in attendances across, obviously, the leagues and even the Championship League, but... It seems to me that when we were obviously in the summer and during the Euros that we seemed to be targeting at sort of like, you know, a very young sort of demographic. Maybe we need to be looking at men coming over from the, you know, the men's team to obviously give women's football a bit of a chance and just to, you know, come and enjoy a few games and see what you think. But who is it exactly that we should be looking at getting in through the turnstiles? I mean... Obviously, hopefully we'll see an increased attendances, um, especially that average attendance that we've been looking to grow at the Academy Stadium. But, yeah, what do you guys think? Well, the Euros was a great advert, obviously, and we, we've seen from the, the crowd so far have looked really healthy and good. 
unfortunately, we lost our home game that was going to open the season against Arsenal, which I believe was sold out. Um, so, that, you know, straight away, you know, you see the bounce there. And then once you see good football, hopefully people, if not all, then the majority of people will carry on coming back uh, on, on, a, on a, a regular basis. But it's all, we've said this many times before, I think Paul said last year, it's about making it easy for people to come as well. It's about making it easy. It's about making it welcoming as well for not just families, but for everybody. You know, you want the say you want a, a demographic across the board. If people want to come and watch football, yeah. football is football. So um, the Euros are certainly a massive, massive thing to to, to uh, encourage people to come. Obviously, because you can come and see these players every week. You know, these players that were you know the best in Europe across all all different nations. Most of them are in our league, or a lot of them are in our league, including all the England girls who who played and won the tournament. So, you know, it's a massive advert that, yeah, for the for the league. It was such a shame. It was un- unavoidable, obviously, that the game got called off, you know, with what happened. Um, you know, but the Arsenal game, it was going to be sold out and, and that was going to be such a great occasion and an opener. And hopefully that would then take a momentum and hopefully we'll still see that at the Academy Stadium, you know, these big games uh, sold out. Yeah. If you want to attract men, firstly, you've got to schedule women's games when the men's teams are playing. If, if the men's team are at home and the women's are away, men are not going to go. They're not going to, you know, go across to the, to, to the women's game. What we need to do in terms of attracting men and, and people who go to the Etihad Stadium, when we've scheduled a, a game at the Etihad and a game at the academy on the same day, lots of people have come across to do both games. Make it easy for people. When, when was the last time we had a doubleheader, Dave? It was a few years ago now. So we did one with Chelsea, didn't we, when they actually played Chelsea, man, as well. But yeah. as a rule, you know, the, the clubs don't think that it actually puts the crowds up if the women's game. They find it too long a day. Well, I, I think I, the, the I, gaps between the games. We, we've had this conversation many times, haven't we? The yeah. clashes. The, I totally agree with you about the clashes, Paul. It's, it, it's a bugbear. Emma knows it's going back since we started this podcast. Yeah, clashes. You know, it definitely, without a doubt, those clashes affect the crowds at women's games. Yeah. And they can hide it, they can dress it up however they want, the powers that be. But if you have the men's team of a club playing on the same day and time, say away, when the women are at home, less people are at the women's game. That is a fact. And, the, 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 and if you want to attract families, which is, I think, we saw loads of families, didn't we, in the Euros, but different, not just at England games, but, you know, other games... If, if it's seven o'clock on a Sunday night and you've got kids under, say, six or seven and they've got school the next day, you're not going to bring them along. Why can't we play the game at two o'clock when you, everybody can turn up? I think, I think that's the demographic. That is where women's football is sold to. It's sold to kids, families, and I think we almost alienate that audience by making it not attractive into you know bringing your kids out on a on a, a you know a Sunday night it's seven o'clock it's it's just not ideal at all. That's down to the broadcasting deal, though. That's because that Sky don't want to come yeah, their it's games. Not, yeah, it's it's not it's it's not the club's fault, uh, and obviously the the broadcast deal does does dictate a lot of the scheduling of the games and kickoff times and and one thing and another. So. It, it's almost like it's you, you can't win with it. You know what I mean? You you're gonna be up. Someone's gonna be upset down the line. You know, you either not gonna have the platform to promote the women's game, or you're gonna have the platform to promote the women's game. But as a result, you know, your attendances and actually getting those fans in the turnstiles is gonna 
suffer. Our, our club has got more data analysis, more marketing firepower than most clubs in the world. Getting people to come and watch the men's team is like shooting fish in a barrel. It's the best team in the, in the league, probably the best team in Europe. You have no problem selling that the Etihad out week in, week out. Not not even you. Do, you wouldn't even need a marketing department. People will just turn up, and that ground was sold out. We over the last few seasons have not shifted the average attendance at the academy by very much, if we're honest with ourselves. And that's true, I think, of the league. I think the, like the, before we went into the Euros, the average attendance had dropped last season. Yeah. So clearly we're not marketing the game properly to people that would, would come along. Why aren't we telling people that you can come along to watch the best players in Europe, bring your whole family for the price of two cinema tickets, that you get free drinks when you come to the ground, that you get entertainment, that, you, that it's an inclusive place, that it's a place that you can feel safe, a place where you can bring your family without any fears of offensive chanting or homophobic abuse or racism. That's the message that we need to get across to people. We're not getting that message across sufficiently, in my view, and we're in danger once again of losing the balance of the Euros if we're not careful, because we fill those grounds. I went to the, you know, to Old Trafford for my sins to watch the England game, and I would say seventy-five percent of the people in there probably never been to a WSL game. Why can't we get those people to come on a regular basis to their local team? And it doesn't have to be a WSL team; it can be a Championship team. There's, some, there's something missing in making the connection between mass crowds in the Euros and getting those people to make the, a regular commitment to come to at least home games at their local team. I don't care whether it's City or not. I'm, I'd like them to come to the City, obviously. But if they want to go to Blackburn and watch them, or they want to go to Liverpool and watch them, or the, you know wherever they want to go, come and support the game because it's a, it's a brilliant atmosphere, isn't it? That's just, you know, if you could bottle it and give it to people, they'd come along. Yeah, definitely. It's just something not quite sparking there for me. I think it's one to look at again and probably see how it was in terms of the fans, in, in terms of, you know, attendances and one thing and another at the end of the season. Because I think it's hard to obviously judge the impact of the Euros and the and carrying that positivity and the momentum that you talk about throughout the season because I think it's not I think it's it's not about you know those first couple of games it's about the momentum and in terms of fans coming back. Here's what I do. This is the thing. We're going to get thirty thousand plus on for the the derby. We might even sell the ground out. We might even sell the Etihad out. Not beyond the bounds of possibility. And yet, I can guarantee you the next game. It it won't be, it may may not be sold out. Where are those other forty thousand people? Even if we sell the ground out, there's forty thousand people or twenty thousand people who haven't made the connection between the Etihad and the academy. If I was City, I'd be doing some market research on the day. You've got those people's details. Ask them the questions you would in any marketing campaign. What would persuade you to to be a regular uh, uh, a City? What do you know about City? What do you know about the WSL? What do you know about the price structure? What do you know about the packages you can get? I don't think a lot of people are aware how cheap the WSL is, for instance. I don't think 
really get talk to people about the atmosphere that it's created, the inclusive atmosphere. It's a very different atmosphere uh, in the academy stadium than it is to, to the Etihad. It's, it, and it will appeal to people if they come along. So I think the club needs to really start to drill down and say, if there's 30-odd thousand on the Etihad, why are we not converting those people to at least home games at the Academy Stadium? It will be a very interesting season. I can't wait, me. <laughs> Honestly, like, do you know what? I, like Dave said, I think the thing is, like, that Arsenal game, the fact that just knowing that it was sold out, I mean, it's been a long time. It's It's been a long time, hasn't it, Dave, since we've seen the Academy sold out for a City game. Yeah, I mean, if you think back to last season, the derby they had there, what a great atmosphere that was because it was... Yeah. Pretty watchful. Um, but, you know, for all sake, we've not been able to have an home game now to the middle of October through one reason or another. It's, yeah. it's, it's a long wait, isn't it? So it is a shame. It is a shame that that Arsenal game got, Leicester, you know, postponed. Yeah, Leicester. And that that's on the same... I know for a fact the Leicester home game is the same day as the men are away at Liverpool. So, again, it's going to affect the crowd. Well, and you- it's not... That's not a city thing that happens to... I know it happens to every team. Because I've spoke to fans of other teams. I've spoke to Chelsea fans. I've spoke to Spurs fans. West Ham famously had it on a cup final day, like we've had it. Mm. You know, it's got to change. That's the first thing that's got to change. And we've said it many times in this podcast, but I am going to always beat that drum because it does affect the crowds. There's no two ways about it. I know people who don't come because they've got the men's game. Dave, you've made another point that, that I didn't really consider. And now I think about it, it really goals me. The scheduling of games. You know, the WSL, you can go four or five weeks without a home game. You know, yeah. in, the, in the men's game, you're playing, you know, home and away, home and away. You, you get in a routine. You, you start to sort your life out around the football. If you really get into it, then you might be going away as well. But then, you know, you, you, so we, we invite this new group of Euro fans to come along and say, come along to the Etihad. I'll come along to the academy, sorry, and um, watch this game. And by the way, the next one's in three weeks' time. Does it encourage people to get into the routine of football? Yeah, does it? No, yeah, yeah, there's no like, yeah, you're right. I know, I know um, the podcast you've been on this week, uh, Emma, I heard the, you know, I listened to that, and I know Rodney thinks that, don't he? Yeah. That there's not enough teams, there's not enough fixtures in, in the games, you yeah. know, in the league. Yeah. yeah. And if there isn't, schedule them, tie in the league season up, play regular football so that people know that next week it's City women at home. And what would you do? What would you do, Paul? Would you double the amount? Would you put the championship in and have it as one league? And well, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd either expand the league, um, but I don't. I'm not sure that a lot of the teams in the championship are, are in a position to go fully yeah, pro. Yeah. And there's no point bringing, like, say, Durham up if they're not fully pro because they'll get battered. Um, but I, I maybe just tighten the league up a bit and just make sure that there's regular football for people, so that people know that every other week they're going to go a home game. You know, most people don't mm-hmm. go away games, but you want to, you want those people who are coming new to the game not to wait three weeks. People get bored; they, they lose interest. Unless you're an obsessive, you know, you, you're if, not. If you think back to the last expansion, that was when that was when Tottenham and United came up to the league, and, and that was what three or four seasons ago now. Yeah. I, I, I don't think the fact like we could we could easily make it a fifteen team league. And I know well, like, not great, but I still 16. think that makes a difference. There are at least three or four teams within the within the championship at the moment that are ready to probably make that um transition to the to the WSL. I agree with you there. I mean you could make it 16 leagues, so it wasn't an odd number. 
yeah, and everyone had a game say a 16 team league would be quite attractive wouldn't it It'd give you those extra four fixtures which would fit, you know, obviously home and away so you've got an extra eight fixtures sort of thing if there's extra teams there um like you say there are teams in the championship that are striving to get into the and ones who have obviously been there before, like Bristol and Birmingham and people like that, I think we could sustain a 16-team league. Yeah, easily. I really I, do. Without a doubt. I, mean, I, I know when I got the men's game, I know roughly when it is. I know, you know, I know it's a parameter anywhere between, well, potentially Friday night and Monday night. I know it's every other week. I've got in a routine. I've set myself up to do it. I know what I'm dealing with. In the women's game, you know, as I say, you can wait two, three weeks before another game comes around. People will drift away. Those people who might just be on the cusp or think, oh, 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 I'm not too bothered now. You know, you want to get people excited about it. You want people to have that. The thing that we all as football fans love, the regular buzz of a football game. You know, why, do we, why did you travel to Villa at the weekend? Because you love football. And all of those, all of those, all of us at some point began our journey, didn't we? But we also, when we started our journey, we knew we were going to get regular football. The league needs to expand so that we can just have that, you know, week in, week out football with the cup games as well. That will help build the game. Let's move on then. So we've had another question from Nigel, and he he asked actually who our standout players were from the new signings that we've seen uh, so far this season. Uh, I kind of feel like we've already answered that already, but he also wanted to know what your verdict was on the players who returned back from injury. So having Esme Morgan back in the squad and obviously Steph as well. Well, yeah, it's, it's a bit, it's a similar thing with some of them. Um, you, you're talking long-term injuries there, so it's a little bit similar to new players. They might take a couple of games to get back fully up to speed. I mean, poor old Esme's missed the whole year of her career. So, you know, um, Coming back in this season, it's great to see her back. And again, it's options. It's options for the manager that he just didn't have last year. And the same with Steph. She's had six months out. If anyone saw the um, story she posted on Instagram and Twitter last night about, you know, the summer that Steph's had, I mean, that was just emotional and, and just shows you what sort of a woman Steph is and what sort of a player she is. So it's amazing to have her back because she's, you know, she's the leader. She, you know, she she doesn't feel um, that she's finished yet internationally, even never mind at City. So she wants to plough on. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit like the new players. It, they've got to gel with them. They're coming back from long-term injuries, so they might not have been at full pace for me last And I wouldn't certainly wouldn't judge them on, on last Sunday's performances um, because, you know, we were caught out. We were a bit slow at the back, full stop across the everybody. The whole team were a bit slow and Villa were... I, I put it that Villa beat us because um, they were better in the big moments of the game and they were more up for it on those moments and wanted that a little bit more maybe on the day and they were the better side, so it was difficult. But yeah, it's great to see Steph and Esme back because it's all options as well and they're only going to get better and better the more games they play. We're worth remembering that Esme Morgan, I think, was in the England squad when she got injured. He's a quality player, so it is like having a, a, a new player back and I, I think she is a very good player. Um, and I agree with Steph being something to the team, that experience, that professionalism. And it's to her credit that she battled back from, you know, an injury that many people would have, you know, would have just said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. I've got nothing to prove to anyone. And, you know, so, so I think she, you know, she's feeling her way back in as well. I think, you know, her and Esme have been out for so long. Um, I mean, Seth was quite injury prone for the whole of last season. So I think, you know, those two came back in and certainly didn't let us down. 
uh, and they will they will definitely improve as the season goes on once they start to get the match fitness and and their 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 sort of general fitness back. But you know, both of them are very very good players. And obviously, Dave, you spoke about Steph and the, obviously posts that she made earlier in the week, and it's quite um, something when a player write so intimately and so openly about their experiences because it just it would have been obviously a really difficult summer for Seth and you know we all know how much of a how passionate she is and said not you know not just for the club but for her country as well you know she she always spoke about how there's nothing better than you know putting on that armband for her country and she's done that for for so many years now she's been a real trade trailblazer uh, and a, a pivotal figure within that England squad for such a long time now and it's great to see that she's not give up and she is wanting to obviously put herself forward for thinking ahead now to the World Cup. Well I'd say yeah I mean anyone that's read that I, I advise if you've not read that piece that Steph's put up this week that anyone goes and reads it uh, it's like a photo journal of, of, of a journey over the summer to so the injury we all know what happened uh, you know, being left out the Euro squad, it must have been a very, very difficult, almost bittersweet thing for her. A lot of her friends playing that side. She she was the captain of that side for so long. She'll have been pleased they won it. Of course she will. But tinged with the sadness that she wasn't involved because obviously she, she, she wanted to be because that's the sort of player she is. She leads from the front. She wants to lead from the front still at City. She You know, she wants to play, as you say, hopefully get into the World Cup squad is, is her ambitions. And who can, who can say that she won't? Because Steph deserves that chance. Steph's been there from day one. And if you look from our from our selfish point of view, from a city point of view, we've lost a bit of experience this summer. You know, KB's retired, Jill's retired, we've lost Ellen. We need Steph for the experience for me, just to be there. Even if she don't play every game now, she, she's the captain of the club. To have her there on a match day evening, you know, and things like that. I'm sure they'll manage minutes just like they were with every single player. And it yet again it comes back to him having the options. Last year that was a major problem. We had to play everybody every game at one point because we didn't have the options to to shift and, and rest and rotate. We've got that now and Steph's part of that. But I I I honestly, anyone that's not read the Steph article, us as city fans, we know what Steph's all about, but it is well worth a read for any football fan. And it's just, just a fantastic role model and, and professional player yeah, just, just a great person really certainly great to have her back within the squad I was really really pleased to see her at the weekend and and I think you know she'll give everything to that you know if there's an opportunity to play Steph wants to play <laughs> that's a fact yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. so uh, yeah it's great to have her back within the squad and like you said I think she has still got a very important part to play when you especially when you're talking about experience you know, these new players, these young players will look to people like Steph, the likes of Steph, for that guidance on the pitch as well as off it too. And, you know, there's no one more professional uh, than Steph. So she's a great role model, like you say. And I'm just glad that, you know, she's been open about her experience, but not that she needed to, you know, she didn't need to, but she's done it. And, you know, I think like everyone, she'll just want to draw a line under it now and, and move on. And everyone just needs to kind of just get behind her because if anyone can do it, Steph will put in 100% in terms of putting herself in contention for that. And if she gets there, she'll have done it by her own merit. And I'm all for that. So you only have to look at Jill Scott, don't you? How she has managed to career and a, and a fitness and, a, and an ability she, she wasn't playing regularly at, at club at club level but she was brought in because she was 
an experienced professional, brilliant in the dressing room and in the, in the, in the team environment that we're building. And I think Steph can bring that to, to the team when she, when she hopefully gets back in the England team. But like Dave says, that uh, photo journal of her recovery process and the disappointments and how she felt about that is, is, is something that all football fans should read because it's brutally honest, it's very, very open, and it's it's really a sort of testament to all those players that have to go through lonely rehab. Chloe Kelly talks about it all the time, how lonely rehab is. Edmund Morgan talked about it. Listen to any of the players that have been out for a long time with the unbelievable number of ACLs that we get in the women's game. It's a lonely place to be mentally and physically, uh, and she's very open about it, and it's incredibly moving. And even if she didn't have done nothing else in the game, to open herself up like that, I think says is particularly given all the other things she's got to deal with, is an incredibly brave thing to do, and is typical of someone who has absolutely changed women's football in this country for the better. There is no doubt about that. She has been absolutely instrumental in bringing our game from a semi-professional mess to a professional setup where young women across the country can look at her and Jill Scott and others and say, yeah, I could do that. I can play for my country. I can win the Euros. Definitely. And on that note, because it was so brilliant, (laughs) I'm going to leave it there. Uh, Dave, Paul, thank you both so much for joining me this week. It's been great to catch up. Obviously, it's been a long time since the last podcast, but hopefully it won't be too long to the next one. Yeah, it's good to be back, Emma. Nice. Thanks, Dan. Well, thanks for thanks for all you've done for the game over the last few years with this podcast. It's really important and really, really uh, gives us a, a great platform to have some great discussions about the game that we love. Oh, thanks, Paul. That's really kind. <laughs> I'll take that. That's lovely. Um, no, I appreciate you both. I always appreciate your time. So thank you so much for joining me. And we'll catch up soon. Enjoy the game at the weekend. Morgan and you're listening to MCW Fancast. And that's it for this week. Thanks to Paul and today for joining me on this week's show. It's great to welcome them back to the podcast. Also, thanks to Charlotte, who's on editing duties for us this week. If you are travelling down to Chelsea, to King's Meadow on Sunday, we wish you a safe journey. And if you are staying at home, it is available live to watch on Sky Sports. Kickoff is four o'clock. And we'll be back next week. Have a great week, everyone. (laughs) 